Hey everyone, welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. Those were very kind words. I'm not very good at taking compliments, so <laughs> that that will be what it'll be. Um, <laughs> bear with me here for a minute. Hallelujah. Um, today, I just I'll probably give honor where honor is due. Um, I'd like to thank Brother Brzezinski for the, the privilege to come up here and speak to y'all. Um, I don't take this lightly. Um, a lot of the people who've come here and invested here and people who've not even been out the pulpit but have invested in my life and other people's lives, it's not taken for granted. Um, but without further ado, we're going to be talking about oneness tonight. And what, I, what I'd hope to do tonight is just talk a little bit about the very personal bit of understanding who God is and how much that affects you and your personal life going forward off of that. Um, and probably the best place for me to start with that is the, the story of my grandfather's conversion. Um, some of you may have already heard it. My dad hasn't already talked about it in here. But my, my papa Kilman, and if that name doesn't already indicate enough, uh, yes, he is a hillbilly. Uh, we got those roots somewhere down there or whatever. Um, <laughs> um, but he, 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 he didn't live a very good life uh, before he got into church. A very rough life, abused and kicked off of his family's home when he turned 16. And then he uh, ran around with gangs, started drinking, um, and uh, running around with women. To quote him, and these are his words, he was a whoremongering drunk. And, um, which is really weird as a grandkid when you see that, and when you hear him say that, it doesn't, it doesn't look the same, um, all in part due to his relationship with God. Um, continuing in his life, uh, at, at, at a certain point when he started to slow down and a lot of, frankly, a very godless life, he uh, was diagnosed with some form of internal cancer. And on his deathbed, he was praying and he said, Lord, I'm not worth living. I'm not worth dying. I just, I just don't want to die lost. Do I need to be baptized like in Matthew 28, 19 or in Acts 2, 38? That obviously was before, you know, he had a full relationship with God and before he understood that those were the same thing. And in that moment, God spoke to him and said, Son, whatever you do in word or deed, you do in my name. He told him to go be baptized in Jesus' name. And it's very con- I'm going to tell a very condensed version of the story, but he went to his neighbor at one point and he asked him, Paul, what, where can I find a church that will baptize me? Or rather, uh, skipping a bit ahead of myself, where, where can I find a church that will heal me like in the book of Acts? And he said, well, Omer, there, I know a few churches that will do that for you. But he asked, well, will they baptize me in Jesus' name? And uh, the man said, well, Omer, who in the world told you to be baptized in Jesus' name? And he said, well, God told me. And uh, his neighbor was a bit shamefaced at that moment because he was actually a backslidden apostolic. And uh, he said, Omer, I know exactly where you need to go. And so he went and he was baptized in Jesus' name. And he rose up speaking in tongues. Um, and to skip over a few other bits, he was eventually healed of cancer. And he saved, he brought his neighbor back into church. 
And the miracle of him being healed brought my mama into church who didn't believe miracles could happen. Um, but none of that would have happened had he not have been hungry, and especially if had he not have had a seed planted in his life by a man when he was running around at, back in his godless life, a man who we still don't know his name, was just taking care of him for a night and said, Elmer, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to be saved. You need to change your life. And he, my grandfather, he mocked him and laughed in front of his face. He said, I don't need to do all that to be saved. But had the man not done that, who he never saw the fruits of his labor, had never done that, he just wanted to reach someone, to give him a bit of knowledge to understand who God is and how he can live in relationship with him, my grandfather would have never been saved. He would have never had the knowledge to. And had he never been hungry to know, you know what, I want to know who God is. I want to know how, I, how to live my life, out of the last bit of his life, uh, for God. Then not only would he not be saved, my family would not be saved. I would not be here existing, able to tell the story today. And can I, can I just say one thing? A relationship in your life with God affects not just you, but everyone you touch in your life. And you can't have a relationship with anybody if you don't know them. If you don't know someone, you don't have a relationship with them. Yeah. Period. I don't. <laughs> um, and especially when that comes to God, how you know Him, if you don't know Him fully, that affects everything in your life. Yeah. It affects how you baptize your way to salvation. Yeah. It affects how you view Scripture, how I'm supposed to view what He tells me to do. If... Uh, that there, there's a viewpoint where that says that the Old Testament God is actually just a cruel, evil God, and, the, and Jesus is this one that freed us from his law, and I don't have to do what this, this thing tells me to do. And they don't live according to what God wants them to live. They don't live free. They don't live with the blessings that God wants them to live in their life. And even if they don't have that, then they, they say, oh, I can just interpret this however I want, because if I don't care about what the Bible says about God, then I can just do whatever I want. Your viewpoint of how you know and how you get to know God changes everything in your life, period. Like in John chapter 8, verse 24, it, it says, and I'm going to paraphrase here, it, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you don't know who God really is and don't believe in him, that not just mental assent, but I get to give my life to him. I believe, and so I work and have a relationship with God. Then you can be saved. That's that. That is what changed my grandfather's life and his family's life onward. That's what changes our life and a new life with Christ. And if I could leave you with just this, is that if you do not know God, and you do not truly know who He is, you don't truly have a relationship with Him. But those that dare to get to know who God truly is will be changed forever in a true relationship with God. And everyone they touch in their life will be changed as well. God bless, that's all I have. <laughs> Can we give another round of applause?
says is absolutely right. Uh, if you don't truly know who God is, there is no way is it that you can have a real relationship with him. Uh, and you know, it sounds basic, but it's really, it is because it's fundamental, right? There's no progress in a relationship with somebody that you do not know. Hmm. And so why would God choose to reveal himself through scripture without giving us the surety of who he actually is, Amen. right? Uh, and he got the question answered, right? Uh, that's the thing. It's like if you come to God hungry, he will absolutely show yes, you Yes, that's so true. That is just a yeah. basic principle. Amen. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing in that tonight. Uh, Brother Chris McGrath is another very faithful man of God. And uh, you see him in faithfulness to the house of God. You see him faithful to young adults. And you see him faithful to service in the kingdom of God as well. Uh, he has a heart of gold, and it's because he walks with the Lord uh, in sincerity, and uh, he, 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 blesses, uh, he, he lives out what uh, Joel was talking about uh, earlier, is that if you have a relationship with God, you will touch the people that are around you in your mm -hmm. life. And I know that many of us have been impacted by that in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. And so let's give a round of applause for Chris McGrath wow. as he comes to teach. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's so nice. That's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Well, that was, I just want to start by saying that was an awesome word from Brother Joel Kilman. Uh, I am a fan. Uh, <laughs> and I have been, I have been for a long time. Uh, uh, I just think you're, you're a great guy and what an awesome word. That's what I just want to continue talking about tonight. You really made it so easy to say what I'm going to say uh, because I've got the task tonight to talk about oneness. Why oneness? I'm going to be looking at it from a more uh, systematic view, talking about scriptures in the Bible. Um, and thank you so much again, uh, Brother Kilman, for uh, talking about what it means in our own lives. That is, don't ever lose sight of that when you learn about things in the Bible. What does it mean in your life? How can it affect you? How can it affect those around you? There's never just a reason to learn about the Bible uh, that's detached from reality. So, why oneness? Because it is the plain teaching of the Word of God. That is the short answer. Uh, <laughs> so, if someone asks you, you just say, well, oneness is a clear doctrine defined in the Bible. <laughs> and then they're probably like, well, no, it's not. And then you have to give them the long answer. <laughs> so, tonight I want to give you the long answer, at least my version of it. I'll be pulling a lot from... Uh, Brother Bernard's, we all know him, his uh, book, The Oneness of God. Uh, so I just want to do a quick discussion talking about the nature of God, uh, the strict monotheism that we see in the Bible, what the Old Testament says about the Messiah, what the New Testament says about Jesus, like what, that he's actually the fulfillment. And then Jesus is the Father incarnate and he's Jehovah. And then I want to kind of sum it all up and give you the, the last few points. Why oneness? So first I want to talk about the nature of God. God is a spirit that is found in the Bible in many different places. Uh, the three that stick out to me when I think about the description of the nature of God is John 4.24 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Genesis 1.2 when it talks about the spirit of the Lord moving upon the waters and the earth. And then Revelations 22.17 where 
we, we, I'm, the reason I'm just rushing through these is because I feel like most of us probably know these verses. Revelation 22 to 17 that says, the spirit and the bride say, come. So God is described in the Bible as a spirit many times. So no one can see God. That's also a truth in the Bible. And I think I've given verses to some people tonight. So who has 1 Timothy 6.16? Does anybody? Oh, my bad. I didn't know it was coming up. Yeah, this is a warning to everybody else. It's coming up. <laughs> In the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> Sorry for the root. <laughs> Right. And then it talks about God being immortal and, and no one being able to see him. All right. First John 412. Who has that? No man has seen God at any time. Okay. So you guys believe me. No one can see God. No one can see the spirit of God. It is invisible. So right here, I have a picture of God. <laughs> he's, he's there. He's there because he's everywhere, but you just can't see him. God is described as invisible. Who, who, who has 1 Timothy 1.17? Does anybody have that? Now unto the King, eternal, yes. immortal, yes. invisible, yes. the only wise God, mm-hmm. be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Invisible. Hebrews 11.27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as being him who was invisible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which brings me to our question tonight. So if God is invisible, then how do you explain the fiery furnace? How do you explain what Brother Tyler just read for us about Abraham seeing the one who was invisible? How do you, how do you explain those things? I have this awesome picture of the three men in the fiery furnace. I did a lot to get that picture. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but these... You can see this is a cool inductive title. It says three men in the fiery furnace, but look, there's four. So, so th- these visitations, the way Abraham saw the, the man who came and spoke to him in that tent, is they're called theophanies. And so if you, you don't know what that word means, congratulations, you learned a new word today. It's a very easy one. All a theophany is, it sounds difficult, it's not. It's just a visible manifestation of God to his creation. That's all a theophany is. So these were theophanies. They're ways that God showed up and interacted with his creation in a way that they could see him physically. So Brother Bernard, he says it like this. Although humans can see God when he appears in various forms, no one can directly see the invisible spirit of God, to which we say amen. All right, so I have God here. This is God. He's a spirit ruling the universe. And he sees something in nature. He sees something in the world that he's created. And I'm talking about theophanies. He, he sees a need, we could say. And we know what this, if you can see that, this image depicts the three Hebrew boys uh, while they're in Babylon. And, and what they're being forced to do is to worship or pay respect to an idol. And of course, God, he doesn't play that. And so he sees... These, amen. He sees these young men. So what does he do? Back to it. I had to use it twice. He, he, <laughs> he steps into his creation. He manifests himself to meet the need. 
So you're probably thinking, we're talking about oneness, right? And you, how does this relate? I know what a theophany is. I learned that. How does this relate to oneness? What I want to do is, is show that this is the process God continually uses throughout the Bible to address certain needs. Not every need, of course. And I really believe God could have saved the three Hebrew boys from heaven or without having to take a physical form and be there. Does everybody believe that? I believe God's able to do that. But sometimes he thinks it's necessary, or it, it, I'm not going to say he thinks it's necessary. It is necessary. If God did it, it's necessary. Uh, newsflash to me. Um, sometimes it is necessary for him to manifest himself into a situation to meet that need specifically. And when he does that, we do not consider these to be separate gods. We do not consider these to be separate persons. Abraham speaking to the man who is telling him he's going to be a father of many nations, that that, that's not Abraham talking to a different person in the Godhead. The voice coming from the burning bush to Moses, that's not a different person in the Godhead. But some people say Jesus is a different person in the Godhead or that he's a different God. So that's kind of where I'm getting at. So I want to talk about the strict monotheism that's in the Bible that we see all throughout Scripture. The Bible declares one God. Whoever has Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, if you want to go ahead and read that. Brother Andrew, I think. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Ooh. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Mm -hmm. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and upon thy gates. Yeah. So it seems pretty important, right? He's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Put that everywhere. <laughs> Make sure you know that that's right. And many times I've read that a lot of devout Jewish men, before they would die, they would try to utter the Shema one more time. They would, which is what that Deuteronomy 6, 4, it's what we refer to that as, that, that, that command, that, that uh, instruction, that hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. So we know that there's one God, and, and the God, he declares that there is no other. And he declares it very emphatically in Isaiah. If you don't believe me, now you do. Because, and I'm going to read this, because... I sometimes, I'm going to be real honest right now, I sometimes have struggled with oneness. I'm not saying like recently, okay, but I'm saying when I was, when I was younger and, and before I really searched the scriptures, because a lot of times you can get, get in the mode when you're reading the Bible of like, why is Jesus praying, yeah. you know, and, and you can have questions like that. And so I, I want to read this to you guys because I want you guys, this is one of the things that just solidified in my mind. There is no other God but the Lord. So I'm going to read all these verses. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone. He that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. There is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. 
Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. I will not give my glory unto another. O Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. There is no other God. And this is, of course, further established, and we see it in the New Testament. Mark 12, 29-30, Brother, Brother Cole. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord mm. our God is one Lord. Amen. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This Amen. is the first commandment. Amen. So you can see Jesus doubles down on it. He, he, re, he quotes, actually, that verse in Deuteronomy 6.4. And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, that there is one God. So it's Old Testament to new. There is one Lord. So the question that we should ask tonight is not, is monotheism correct? Or is monotheism the, the right interpretation of the Bible? Because that is super clear. It's, there's, there's no getting around that. There is no trinity. We can read all of the scriptures that talk about the oneness of God. You can't read one scripture that talks about a trinity. The question is not that. The question is, how do you view Jesus? So do you view Jesus as the son of God in the sense of, like, I am the son of Breeze McGrath? Or do you view Jesus as the son of God in the sense of he was God stepping into his creation, being manifested to accomplish the work that needed to be accomplished. How do you view Jesus? So the Old Testament proclaims that Jesus, and we know it's Jesus today, but for them it was just the Messiah, the one who was coming. It proclaims that Jesus is God. The Old Testament describes the Messiah as the everlasting Father. Who has Isaiah 9-6? Did I give that to anybody? Okay, sorry. <laughs> For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Amen. the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. The, the Old Testament describes the Messiah as the Everlasting Father. It's interesting. Isaiah said he will be called Emmanuel in Isaiah 7, 14. 14. And of course we know that that name, Emmanuel, it means God with us. The Messiah, with his people, tabernacled in flesh, is God with us. The name Jesus, looking ahead here, means Jehovah is salvation, or Jehovah are salvation. So we, and, and of course, looking also in scriptures in Isaiah, Isaiah 35, 4-6, it shows that the Messiah is God. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Scripture says, Behold, your God will come and save you. And, and all those miracles that are listed, the, the eyes of the blind being opened, the ears of the deaf being unstopped, the lame leaping, the, the people being able to speak who were mute, they all are the same miracles that Jesus did. And he even applied those miracles to himself in his earthly ministry. And I'm not going to get into that too deep tonight, but you can on your own. Uh, it's, it's fun to look at that. Jesus did all those miracles, all those miracles. Like you're reading it and you're like, I, I know a guy. You know? It's like he was the Messiah. So 
the New Testament, it also proclaims that Jesus is God. Thomas confessed Jesus as both Lord and God. And, and who has John 20, 28? Yeah, yep, he called him both Lord and God after he was able to touch the scars that were in Jesus' hands. The church was purchased with God's own blood, Acts 20, 28. Who is that? Yes. Um, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Hmm. So God purchased it with his own blood. Yeah. Interesting. Paul and Peter describe Jesus as both God and Savior. And also Paul writes in Colossians, and this is a great verse, if you just want a little one to give to somebody who is maybe disagreeing with you about uh, oneness or, or something like that. Colossians 2.9. Did I give that to anybody? Or did I? I think I, think I know what it says. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. That... So is Jesus in the Godhead or is the Godhead in Jesus? That's the question you, you pose to someone who, who is arguing with you about that. And I'll, I'm, I'll say this. I was at work one time. I used to work at a tire warehouse. And these guys, they were, we were helping each other out. And one of them looked at me and they were, we somehow got talking about the Bible. I don't even know how. And, uh, and I think it was because I was wearing pants probably. And it was like 100 degrees outside. And they were like, they're like, why do you do that? <laughs> Uh, and so we, we were talking about it, and one of them said, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Trinitarian or a Catholic or whatever. And, uh, and, I was, and so I was like, oh, well, I'm oneness. I believe Jesus, Jesus is God. Uh, and they were like, really? That's crazy that you believe that. And they started kind of giving me some reasons for why I shouldn't believe that. And so I literally had them get out their, they had their phone and get out their Bible. And I said, all right, go to Colossians 2.9. Because in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And they were like, is that the KJV? And I was like, yeah, it is. I was like, it's a lot of times not understanding that Jesus is God boils down to an ignorance of the scripture. And I do not say that in a haughty way at all, because we all have so much to learn about the Bible. But I do believe that it's very explicitly stated in the Bible. I had like a hundred scriptures tonight for you guys. And that was on purpose because I want everybody to know this is what the Bible says. We believe in oneness, not because it's a tradition or because I respect the person who taught me about it, but I believe in oneness because the Bible says it a billion times. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Move on. So Jesus is the father incarnate. I'm getting ahead of myself. So if Jesus is God, if Jesus is the Father, then God must have taken on human flesh. That is pretty, like, that's just logic there. So, and the Bible's like, yeah, that's what happened. First Timothy 3.16, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And John 1, 1, and then verse 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Meaning that when that Word, when that, that Logos, that plan that God had had to come to the world, when that was manifested, when that was tabernacled among His people, they got a chance to view His glory. They got a chance to see God, not the spirit of God, but they got a chance to see 
God in Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus is God robed in flesh for the purpose of reconciliation. These, these verses prove that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared or spoken or revealed him. Meaning that Jesus was the expression of God. Jesus when you saw him, you saw the Father, as he said. It continues, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now notice that. Jesus is the express image of his person. So how can you have multiple persons in the Godhead when Jesus expresses the person of God. See, it, it's when you look in the scripture, it becomes clear. Jesus is the express image, meaning Jesus is that manifestation of God. It's how you can see God. And it says Second uh, Corinthians four four and Colossians one fifteen that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So why would God come as Jesus? Because talk about why oneness, so not just like why would you believe in oneness or why is it true, but like why was that the plan? Why was Jesus necessary? Brother Bernard says, God is a spirit without flesh and blood and invisible to us. In order to make himself visible to us and in order to shed innocent blood for our sins, he had to put on flesh. So we have God, right? This is not just empty fields. <laughs> we have God. He's a spirit. He's ruling the universe. And he sees a need. He sees something that draws his attention. He sees that separation from him that was caused in the Garden of Eden. If you don't know what I'm alluding to with this picture, it's the sin that we all are born into and the sin that we all choose. Just being real. He sees a need. And he says, you know what? I've got a plan for that. I've got a purpose for that. But it requires me stepping into my own creation. It requires me taking on flesh and living an entire life as a man. Not just fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. Not just healing people. Not just showing people the way to salvation. But paying a sacrifice at the end of his life before he was going to be resurrected for the sins of everyone. It was a sacrifice that, that had to happen one time, and it still covers my mistakes today. It still covers all the bad decisions I make. Thank God. So Jesus, he, he manifests himself to meet the need, as we saw him do many times in the Old Testament. And of course, Jesus is more than a theophany. He's, he's also a man. He's fully God and fully man. But the process is the same. And another God is not created in that process. Another person in the Godhead is not created in that process. It's God stepping into his creation, as his word says, and interacting with people and dying a death so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Brother Bernard again says, Jesus is not another God or a part of God, but he is the God of the Old Testament robed in flesh. He is the Father incarnate. He is Jehovah who came in flesh to bridge the gap between humanity and God that sin had created. He put on human identity as a person puts on a coat. 
thought that was a good, was a good simile. <laughs> and the English teachers, I got. <laughs> so why oneness? Why oneness? Why is oneness so great, or, or why do we believe in oneness? We believe in it because it is the plain teaching of the Bible. Oneness is what the scriptures say. They say that, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. The Bible says, and, and Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Joel, the scripture you used, John 8, 24, was it? That, that unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. These are all indications that there is one God. But also, something I like about the oneness doctrine is that it really acknowledges the sacrifice that our God has made. Because think about it. He saw our mistakes. He saw our failures. He saw every bad thing we would do, every bad thing we've done. And he said, I've got a solution for that. I'm going to step down into my creation. I'm going to live a life to serve them. It wasn't just his death death that was in service to us. It, he had to live a whole life to get to that point. He had to have a whole ministry. Think of the hours Jesus put into that. I mean, that's 33 years. Like, man, I, I hope to be so dedicated to something, uh, but I probably won't be. But anyway, <laughs> but think of that sacrifice. It, God himself, you know, the Bible says that he endured the shame of the cross. Because think of God himself humbling himself down to be a man, to be hung on a cross and killed by the people he created, the people that he formed in their mother's womb. He's looking at them through those eyes and saying, they're hanging me on a cross. And what does he say? I'm going to kill all of them. They're never going to be forgiven. I've had it with humanity. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus' Sacrifice for us is a sacrifice made by the man Jesus and by God himself. Scripture says, Hebrews 10.5, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Jesus came to die from my sins. And so why oneness? Why is oneness true? Because it's the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest story that could ever be told. That the King of glory, that God Almighty would come to this earth and He would die for us. It makes no sense to me, but I'm so grateful that He did it. The fact that He wants my relationship with Him bad enough to endure all of that. The shame, the pain, all of the trials, all of the tests, all of the bad words spoken by Him to a person He created. There was literally not a closer relationship you can have with something than the Creator and what was created. And He was betrayed by His own people. The word, the word says that he came into his own and they received him not. And he still said, I'm going through with it. He still was in the garden praying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. The oneness of God is the most beautiful thing in the world. And I'm so grateful to be in a place where I can hear the truth of God preached that he died for my sins. I'm so grateful that the Lord came to this earth to serve me. It makes no sense. So the application today, I'm a little short on application, uh, which Joel did so good on it. So this is the will of God. Uh, but uh, the application today is have that mindset when you think about this truth. People have literally died because they believe that there is one God. They've been burned. They've been beaten, stoned, whatever. And guess what? Not only ha they have been, it's happening around the world today. People are being killed because they know the truth and they want to proclaim it. 
So in our lives, I, ju I just want to close this out with prayer. I'll be done, and we're, uh, Brother Ross or Brother Zinsky will come up, and they'll close out the service. But I just want us to pray a prayer of gratitude that God would do all that, number one. But more than that, gratitude that God would put me in a place where I can know his truth. And also gratitude that I know the oneness of God and, and, and prayer that I could be able to express it to someone else. So let's just bow our heads. Jesus, I love you, Lord. God, I'm thankful that you died for my sins. Jesus, I'm thankful that you cared so much about me. Lord, that you saw this earth and you knew, God, that it was not fit, God, Lord, to just be alone, God. But, Lord, that there was a sacrifice that needed to be paired because of your holiness, because of your justice, God, Lord. You could not just pardon sin arbitrarily. But, Jesus, you knew that it needed to have a sacrifice, God, so that we could obtain, God, your holiness, that we could someday be called righteous, that we could be called sons of God. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would touch every mind tonight. Lord, that you would impart into them, God, a thankfulness for that spirit, God, of oneness. God, a thankfulness, Jesus, Lord, that there is nothing, Lord, God, that you care more about in this world, God, than reconciling your people. Jesus, I thank you, God, that you've been so good to us, Lord, and I pray that your spirit would have its way in our lives. Guide us, Jesus, Lord, to communicate the truth of your word to those we encounter. I pray that you would be with your people this week, God, Lord, that you would go with them, God, and you would give them the words to say, God, and the courage to say it. Help us to stand boldly for your truth. We love you, Jesus, God, and we ask it in your name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. 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 snacks and coffee and that time. But before we do that, I just want to re-preach what I preached earlier. No, I won't, I won't take one. Just let me say this. One of the biggest issues that I think we have in culture is the fact that we have checked out fathers. Fathers who create something but they don't follow through with what they created. And I love my dad. We, we worked through some issues, but my dad... Uh, I've, had, I've had issue with him because he would often ask me to do things he wasn't willing to do himself. He would say, hey, go do this. Hey, go do that. But he wasn't willing to do what he pushed me to do. I looked at the cross, and when I looked at the father sending his son to die, I saw a father who was disengaged and checked out and would send the son to do things he wasn't yeah, willing to do himself. Right, yeah. But when, I, when it dawned on me, the revelation that the, no, no, the Father came, yeah. the, the Father who made me came to suffer and die for me. Yeah. It was like a light bulb. Now this, this understanding, you need the understanding. You need the scriptural base. You need the understanding. But I also pray that you would get a revelation mm -hmm. of what love it is that wow. God would come. And yes. I don't, I don't, you ever been disrespected? I've been disrespected a lot. <laughs> a lot. I can tell you stories, like as of last week, or many stories, many many stories. It's no fun to be disrespectful. But he despised the shame. Yeah. And whatever you're suffering, whatever your plight, whatever your struggle in life, he suffered worse. Oh yeah. And he came lower. Yeah. There's revelation in why oneness, because if you can love this. This is the best story that can be told. Yes, that's so true. Yes.
You're looking for meaning in your life. Well, let me tell you what meaning is. Meaning is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He's the meaning of everything. Yeah. And meaning itself came to serve you at the cross. Yeah. Everybody wants to create their own meaning. Meaning came in the form of flesh and died for us. Right. And we can connect to meaning. Meaning in our life. Mm -hmm. If there's a more beautiful story, I don't know it. Yes. If there's something better to connect your life to, mm -hmm. I've not heard it. Right. And in this world, in this world, you guys know this is true. Everybody wants to create their own meaning because they're selfish. Mm -hmm. And their meaning falls flat. But you are connected to meaning with a capital M. Mm. You're connected to the meaning of everything. His name is Jesus. Yes, you thank you, Jesus. That you have understanding, but Lord willing, you would catch the revelation. Yes, that's Revelation's good. Revelation is deeper than understanding. That's so good. And if you can catch the revelation of this, when the light bulb goes off, you can't unsee it, you can't unknow it, and you can't walk mm -hmm. away from it. Because you have a revelation yes so let me pray for that before we leave jesus oh god lord i pray that you would give me a revelation of who you are Jesus, I pray that your spirit, God, will move in me, Lord, that the Holy Ghost, Scott, Lord, would guide me, God, to everything that you want me to do. Lord, I know, God, that you have a purpose for my life, God. Lord, that you would die for me, communicates to me that you care about me, God. Lord, that you see a future for me. Jesus, I ask, God, that you would...